Hi friend, it's 2020. If you're anything like me, this year has been hard. Have you had days that feel confusing, disappointing, or just totally overwhelming? Especially in times like these, and really no matter what life stage you're currently in, do you find yourself looking for something real? Do you ever stay up late at night wondering if there's more to this world than the chaos in your social media feed? Maybe like me, you wonder about things like restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. And truth, I am on an imperfect journey of pursuing Jesus Christ and what it looks like to find those things in a relationship with Him. It's a journey I committed to years ago when I dedicated my life to following Christ, and it's a journey I invite friends to explore with me, even if, and honestly, especially if you're just not so sure about Jesus. So for those who are wandering, wondering, skeptical, or just need some encouragement, we all need encouragement these days, don't we? This podcast is for you. Please come along with me as we journey together towards finding something real. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood, and I'm glad you're listening today. We have been talking about peace on the podcast this month, and today's guest is a man I both respect and admire, and he has a huge heart for people and for Jesus Christ. I'm excited for you to listen to his story and perspective, but I have to admit that we don't talk as much about peace today, not until the end. Instead, much of what you're about to hear is a conversation about reconciliation and restoration, And today's guest shares the burden on his heart for the unrest and division happening in our world right now, specifically around the issue of racial injustice, trauma, and privilege. My guest today shares his personal perspective on how a Christian can respond in love to the pain going on around them and how we can be light in this current world. Even during conversations like these where we might disagree with one another or don't understand a particular issue or even if we want to bristle in defensive mode when we hear something we don't necessarily agree with. I truly believe, friend, that we can come to Christ and look to his example for direction. In fact, scripture says that he will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in him. That's a promise straight from the word of God. So if you hear something in today's podcast that maybe you don't understand or necessarily agree with, or maybe just don't feel at peace about, my encouragement to you is to take it to Jesus. I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but my kids and I have been trying to practice this during our prayer time. We spend some time praising God and thanking him for who he is and what he's done. And then we envision taking the burdens that we carry to the cross and laying them down before him because we want peace. And Christ has asked us to take our burdens to him. And reconciliation, I truly believe, begins and ends with Jesus. It doesn't mean we don't act on things or we ignore them. It just means that as an act of worship, surrendering to God is very often the very best thing we can do. None of us has all the answers. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us and we need wisdom in every aspect of our lives. Also, I just want to emphasize that today's episode just scratches the surface. I believe these conversations are important so we can understand and empathize with one another. As I shared at the beginning of this month, listening is so close to loving. So if you are interested in the things my guest shares today or want to engage in some of these conversations for yourself, please look into his ministry, The Table. There's a link in the show notes. Also, I've included a few additional resources that have helped me lately to try and understand and have increased compassion. All those resources are available on my website, JanelleWood.com. Finally, I want to mention that if you go to my website, you'll see a tab that says Clarity 2020. There you can sign up to receive the study guide questions that go along with each month's topic. But also, when you sign up to receive those questions, you will also join my email list. And I send out an email about twice a month with happenings, links, and details, extra things I don't always share here or on social media. 
So if you haven't signed up yet, I encourage you to do so this week. And this week especially because I'm super excited about the email I'm sending out soon detailing July's podcast topic and summer ideas. And I don't want you to miss the announcements. So finally, friend, I'm just glad that you're here. And I think you'll find today's conversation eye-opening and heartfelt and loving and authentic. And I'm thankful to be able to share it and today's special guest with you. Today's guest is the area director for the Tri-Cities in Washington State, the Young Life Director. Young Life's mission is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and to help them grow in their faith. And I have to say, on a personal level, I know today's guest because when we first moved to Chelan three years ago, and it was almost exactly three years ago (laughs) that we first met you, um, my husband and I visited a church here in town, and one of the first couples we met were um, this man and his wife. And within, I think it was 20 minutes of meeting us, you offered to let us stay at your house while you guys were gone and offered up your key and everything. So if that uh, tells you a little bit about today's guest and his heart for people, um, I hope it does. I'm excited to introduce this man who's in ministry with his beautiful wife, Lizzie. They have a new baby, which is really exciting. And uh, we're going to have a great conversation today. Welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast, Jeffrey Chambers. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited. (laughs) I'm sad that you moved from Chelan, but uh, I hear the Tri-Cities are, you know, treating you well, so. Yeah, I mean, we're sad we moved from Chelan also. Uh, We we love Chelan. I mean, honestly, we're originally from California, and uh, Chelan ended up becoming home. So, like, when we go back, when we say we're going back home to visit, we actually mean we're going to Chelan, which is crazy (laughs) because... I'd have never thought that being a California kid growing up in California and, uh, but Chelan is near and dear to our heart. Yeah. Uh, that community, those people, uh, mean a lot to us. Yeah. So one day we're going to try to be back out there. Maybe <laughs> as a, who knows, I get hired as a pastor somewhere we'll or see. maybe on young life staff or yeah. teacher. I don't know. But one day. Well, we're happy that David, David and Melissa are here doing ministry for yeah. young life, but yeah, we definitely miss you guys. Um, so I guess the first question I wanted to ask you, just because I know you are involved with Young Life and um, having just shared their mission, um, why is following Jesus so important to you, Jeffrey? And where does that passion come from? Why is Jesus so important to me to follow? I guess it would stem from... Um, pre-Jesus, I was a broken sinner. Mm. I was um, in broken relationships, um, chasing things that were unhealthy, uh, not knowing that I was, part of the chasing was because I was chasing for love. And uh, coming from a broken home of divorced parents, abuse, alcoholism, uh, drug addiction, Um, I was putting on these different masks to try to fill voids and hide behind or try to fit in so I could feel loved and wanted and desired. And I think it was when, uh, I was a 30 year old man where, um, I got to hear for the very first time about a father who loves me and, um, you know, for me to hear a father loves me when I come from a a earthly father that was abusive and absent and abandonment. Like when you say father, God, I was like, ah, I equated him to my earthly father. He's just going to leave me or I can't perform well enough. But when I heard about this father, this heavenly father that desires to know my name, they're like, when I was introduced to that, it, it changed my way of thinking. And, um, and then as I looked at scripture and had mentors walk alongside me and share Jesus with me, um, and they started bringing the scripture to life. And so for me, it's because I've been called by name, you know, um, I think that's, I, that's the, he loves me regardless of my brokenness. Hmm. He desires to know me. And I think, 
in our earthly state, we all desire to be known. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what we desire to be, whether it's in a peer group, a family group, a school group, a sports group, we want to be known by name. And I think when Jesus, for me, when Jesus called me, you know, uh, son, and gave me a, a sonship, gave me an identity, man, who doesn't want an identity? Like a healthy identity, like a positive identity. Um, that That's, I guess, me in a nutshell. Wow. Had you heard the gospel before you were 30? You know, uh, the craziest thing is, you know, in my house, uh, in my house, we did not hear the gospel. The gospel was not taught in my home. My grandmother, though, uh, who was a who was a Catholic, uh, who loved Jesus, like she loved God. She had little prayer cards all over the place, and her Bible. Um, and I just remember as a kid, you know, you get. St. Peter and, you know, the St. Mary cards. And I remember going to bingo nights uh, and she started off, like, I guess you would say she started off as a Catholic. And then when the, when the priest left, she ended up going and becoming a Lutheran. And so like my grandma was my influencer as far as like the person that would maybe bring us. And then in our, in my immediate family, uh, you know, every now and then on a Sunday, my mom would throw us on this big blue bus from Calvary Baptist Church, and we would go, and all I remember was we would get a Tootsie Pop when you got home, as you're exiting the bus from church, you'd get a Tootsie Pop, <laughs> and then, you know, I remember going to Awana's and collecting little jewels and, uh, you know, doing little mem Bible memory verses or whatever, going to a couple church camps. The problem was, though, um, when you're in the midst of darkness and like brokenness and sin and junk and anger um, and you don't have anyone in the home sharing it and living it out, then the Sunday event was just an event. It was just that. It was just something we'd go to once in a blue moon, maybe once a month when my mom wanted a break. Um, or, you know, you go to a week camp and I couldn't tell you one message. I just remember running down the hill with a cow's tongue in my mouth. Um, I remember eating the ice cream, but I, I, don't, I couldn't remember a message. And part of it is because there was nobody that was walking alongside of me. Mm. You know, there was nobody that said, I want to invest in you. Like, I see you, so I want to invest in you. So I never had that. Uh, and that wasn't actually until I met my wife, mm. who... Uh, invited me to a young life camp and uh i got to go to a camp and i heard the gospel message and um was given an opportunity to respond wow so, so yeah so did you go to that young life camp when you were 30 is that yeah i went as an adult guest <laughs> it was the most weird randomest thing ever my my uh my wife lizzie she was an area director for young life in monterey and she said, hey, I got a high school kid who's starting college. Would you be willing to drive out a Friday night, stay Friday night, Saturday night, drive back with him Sunday? He has to leave camp. He was on work crew, which is a high school student who goes and serves for four weeks. He's on work crew. He needs to leave early because he starts college on Monday. Would you go pick him up? And so, you know, I get there Friday night, kind of don't do anything but Saturday night. Uh, they do this thing called cardboard testimonies where high school students that are serving on the front of their cardboard basically says who they were before Jesus. So like broken, ashamed, porn, drugs, alcohol, whatever. And then they turn a sign around and it says something. Well, there was one kid with one sign that said abandoned, fatherless, unwanted, uh, and ashamed. And then he turned it around and then said like fully, fully, he said, fully loved by the father, the heavenly father. And here I am at 30 years old, like thinking to myself, like, that's me. Like I'm that kid. And it like the, the, the stuff of, you know, my dad leaving us and abandoning us and uh, my mom working a ton of jobs, but never really present. And just the, some abuse that had taken place in my life personally, just started coming back. 
And then at the end, the, the guy said, you know, he talked about Jesus on the cross that he chose to give himself up for us. Like, like he chose to give himself up for us. And I never thought about like, for me, like, and then some guy randomly to this day in 15 years, 13 years of young life, I've never got to meet this guy again comes up to me as an adult guest and says, hey, this 15 minutes of quiet time is for you too. Why don't you go out and find a place? And I'm sitting here thinking as a 30-year-old, like, dude, what am I going to do with 15 minutes of quiet time? I'm an adult, right? <laughs> and I go out there and for the first time ever, I, I hear God say, I love you, I love you, I love you. Wow. And it just broke my heart. But it broke my heart, but I was so angry because I was part of the process was, Lizzie, why would you bring me to this? Because I didn't know what Young Life was. Why would you bring me to this? I, I was thinking it was just some camp, right? Why would you bring me to this? <laughs> you don't know me. You don't love me. Like, why would you do this to me? Why would you, you know, all my brokenness, all my hurt is coming up. So why would you, why would you invite me to this? And so I was angry. I actually left camp Sunday morning angry. Didn't talk to Lizzie. This kid, Fernie, hops in our car. <laughs> hops in my car and I drive him home and I ask him this question, do you believe in this stuff? And he's like, let me tell you my story. And he shared his story, his trauma story with me as a senior in high school of some stuff that he was dealing with and what the gospel meant for him. So here it is, this 17 year old boy brings me to the foot of Jesus. Hmm. And a week or so later, I call Lizzie and was like, all right, man, what do I got to do to be a young life leader? And then it was back. So yeah. Wow. So at that point, you guys weren't married. You were just friends. No, we were, we were like, I was trying to date. I was, I was chasing, yeah. chasing hard too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, we were just dating at the time. Like we kind of were dating somewhat. Wow. Courting each other. Wow. What an amazing story. So young life yeah. literally changed your life. I think, I think it was the opportunity that God seemed fit to uh, finally get a hold of me. Yeah. And part of it was because I could picture myself as a high school boy who I, you know, I had a son while I was in high school. So I was a dad in high school. I was a drinker. I was a jock. I always thought I would never amount to anything because that's the culture in which I was raised that all we do is work. We're not smart people, uh, that we don't go to college, uh, unless we're playing sports. And so when I was sitting there that evening, I, and I was, I'm watching, you know, 350 high school students listening to some random guy up on stage talking about this God, uh, this Jesus who entered this broken world and lived this perfect life, uh, healed, cured, saved, brought back to life, broken people, and that he chose to give his life up on the cross, and that this was his plan from day one because of our brokenness. And I didn't even get to hear the resurrection story yet. Like, <laughs> I just heard the cross, right? So for me, I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, man, I wonder what would my life, I, the, the thought I had was, what would my life be like if I would have been in high school and had someone who like poured into me mm -hmm. and like said, Jeff, I love you. Like, you know, um, I just started thinking, man, like I'm already a teacher. I'm already a football coach. I'm already a wrestling coach. Like, man, what am I doing? Like, am I just out here like coaching or teaching? And like, how many of my kids that I pass every day, like come from the same home, you know, I was coaching football and wrestling at the same high school that I went to. Like, man, how many of these kids have the same story? And so my heart started to break. Like, like, I, like honestly, excuse my language, but damn, I'm not doing anything. Mm -hmm. Man, if I can give one kid, if I can just give one kid, like, some hope mm -hmm. and, like, some change maybe. And then the other conviction was, you know, here I am at 30 years old, my my son is 12 and uh, what kind of father was I for him for the first 12 years of his life? Because no one modeled what it was like to be a father. Mm -hmm. So for 12 years, I was this, I, I just did the same thing my father did to me. And so I had this continual um, uh, ingrained in me mentality of what a dad looks like. And it hurt, 
you know, it, and my relationship with my oldest son is we struggle to this day, even though we love each other and we talk and, you know, I just wish like, man, I would have had a model. And so sitting there that weekend for me was like, okay, God, you say you love me, then you need to heal some, some hurt. And so from camp got right into counseling and met some amazing men who walked alongside of me that I met through church. I just randomly went to a church and I was like, I don't know what this is. Like, let's just go. And luckily the church that I went to was so loving and desired to see me and love me and mentor me. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, just, and then you know, I, I have this woman in my life, Lizzie, who no judging, you know, Christian home she grew up in and healthy parents in the sense of uh, both parents at home and loves Jesus and loves ministry and working and walking alongside kids. And she's seen something in me more than I see to myself. I mean, it was like the perfect storm of change. Wow. That's an amazing story. One thing that you mentioned that I think might be hard for people who are listening who've never experienced that um, is sin. You said that you could see your sin. What do you mean yeah. by that? For someone who's listening who doesn't know about the concept of sin, how do you describe that? Because I know as part of your job as a young life leader, you do get yeah. to talk about that quite a bit. Yeah, man. My, for me, my sin... Um, I mean, sin, we, we, we right out the gate thinks we, we automatically go to the worst case, right? We think sin is uh, murder and, and pornography and sex outside of marriage and uh, alcoholism. And, uh, you know, we think of those things as that sin, right? For me, it was my arrogance. It was being a prideful male who walks around with his chest puffed out. Uh, that could care. It was also hurting people. I could care less because of my hurt, you know, because I was sinned against because my father abandoned me and because my home was broken. Uh, so I felt like because I was hurt, now I can take my hurt and I can put it out on people. So whether it was breaking relationships, whether with friends, with girls, whether it was, um, living like this life that I just didn't care. And in the wake, I left all kinds of trauma because I had trauma that I didn't have healed. I, I didn't forgive. I didn't find reconciliation. So I was just taking this trauma that was laid on me. And you, you got to understand as a young, as a kid, as a, as a, you know, fourth grader, fifth grader, sixth grader, a 12, 11, 10 year old, like, this trauma that's being put on me, uh, it's not fair. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything wrong. But instead of getting help, I went out and pushed it off on other people. And so sin could be just, it could be all kinds of stuff. It could be my anger towards people, my language towards people. It could be pride. It could be my prejudice. It could be, yes, it is the sex out of marriage and biblical, right? You know, the sin that we see, it is fighting and murdering. It could be looking at things that are bad for my mind. Uh, for me, it was, you know, having uh, sex out of marriage. You know, I got a kid in high school. Like, nobody taught me, like, what it means to really live a biblical life. No one said, um, this is how we're supposed to treat women. Like, no one said, hey, you're supposed to love them like Jesus loved the church. No one taught me. I didn't have no dad to walk with me, you know, let alone teach me how to shave. No one taught me what it meant to talk and speak truth and love and hope into women. Mm -hmm. I looked at him as like, yeah, it's my property, right? Like, I just treat them like I treat them. Um, I hurt people, you know, and friends, family, my own son. Um, and that's, the, that's what happens, though, when we're not in a hope-filled, joy-filled uh, grace-filled, mercy-filled relationship with our creator. Mm -hmm. The design that he created, we don't know it. Yeah. As you're talking, it reminds me of a movie that my husband and I watched, The Hate You Give. Have you seen that movie? Oh, man, yeah. Um, but there, 
the whole premise, right, is the hate you give little infants uh, messes everybody up, right? <laughs> I won't yeah. say what the F really stands for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and well, too- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it 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 is what you're talking about, which is um, you didn't have uh, none of that that happened to you. That trauma was your fault. Right. Yeah. But then at some point you had to decide what to do with it. And when you didn't know what to do with it, you lashed out in the way that you knew how. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, a generational sin. Yeah. Which um, is an interesting segue. My husband and I watched that movie, um, I think, a week or two ago because of all the things that have been happening yeah. In uh, the news lately and um, in this world, we've been talking about peace this month on the podcast. And in addition to a pandemic and, um, you know, uh, some sort of locust, infest- locust infestation in the Middle East and murder ho- hornets over here um, that have landed on American soil, apparently. <laughs> and the only time I saw one, by the way, was when I thought it was like the day after that was announced. So I'm hoping that's... <laughs> hasn't come to the side of the mountains yet um and and of course uh george floyd right and the things that have happened um with racial tension and injustice in um the world and now as we're recording this podcast we're a few weeks um past um george floyd's murder um but things are still uh still very tense um on my social media feed um in the news I feel like it's this pressure cooker of people flinging things. And so um, as a believer, as a Christian, as a white Christian female, um, sometimes I sit back and I think, what what the H-E double hockey sticks? Are, <laughs> how are you supposed to respond to all this in love? And yeah. I've had some really good conversations with some friends of mine and really taken time to just take it to the Lord. But... I, in the midst of all of this mud slinging, um, something that seems to be lost, at least from my perspective, is the listening and um, the really hearing people. And last week on this podcast, I had Pastor Bob Loon, who shared about loving and listening to people's stories. The week before, I had a music artist, Tarian, who shared about letting love lead and about how we need to always put that first. And what was kind of cool in the midst of all this um, and planning for this topic as we're um, wrapping up this month, um, I watched this amazing Facebook Live by this man I know named Jeffrey Chambers um, where he addressed some of these things. And so um, instead of just referring to you in the third person, I thought maybe would you share a little bit of your story and where that Facebook Live came from and your heart behind it? Yeah, uh, it's funny. So the the whole rant that I did, I would say on Facebook Live, it came out of as, you know, uh, a black male in ministry. And I, and it sucks that I even have to say a black male. Like, I hate, like, why can't I just be, oh, this guy in ministry, right? But for the context, of course, you know, I'm gonna just say it, you know, this black male um, who was getting phone calls from uh, friends who were white and just saying, Hey, Jeff, we love you. What do we, how do we do? How do we interact? How do we, what do you, what do we need to do to be heard or, or to show that we're with you and solidarity in this and Hey, we're sorry what's going on with, you know, the George Floyd and, and um, after, like I said, the 15th, 16th phone call and message, I kind of was like, man, like, First, I have to look at this from a, a Christian standpoint first. I mean, that's just who I am. What would Jesus say about this, right? Like that's, and so, bef- so I took a couple of days before I responded and then I'm in my men's group and we have a, a, a conversation in our, in our men's group, our Monday, Monday morning men's group. And it gets heated. It gets hot, right? It gets really hostile, but because we love each other, because we're all Christian men and we love each other. We listen to each other, even though we don't agree with each other. So then as I started processing, you know, of course, after um, the conversation in my men's group, you know, I start just praying and I start thinking. And so I started, I started just writing about like this process from my men's group. And so we were in the book of Galatians and we were just finishing up this book from, uh, it's this, it's this idea of like 
Paul is sitting here and he's um, he's 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 like warning the church, right? Of like of of our relationships with people and and how do we treat each other and and how do we how do we see each other and uh, but it's you know this life by the spirit verse five or chapter five verse twenty two. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things is no law. Uh, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying, envying each other. And so that was like the start of it. Like, and then we, you know, we're in our studies and, and I'll share in a second about the other piece to it. Um, but we're sitting here and we're sharing uh, uh, this thought of like, Paul is writing to us, telling us how we're supposed to live in the spirit as Christians. Now, mind you, this is as believers. Like, how do we interact with one another as believers? And so when I got on Facebook, I, I wanted to come First, I wanted to come from a position of, um, as a black man in America, all I ever ask is just to see me. So when I sit here and I say black lives matter, what I'm really saying is I get that all lives matter. We all, like, I mean, if we're looking at it, even from this Christian standpoint, we know God loves everybody, Mm -hmm. right? He loves us because we're his creation. He designed us. He, he, he put our thoughts in our head. He put the hair on my head. Like he built me. He's like, I'm going to make Jeff 6'3 and 380 pounds. And he's going to have this color skin, this beard. And, and he's going to have these, this size legs. Like he like took time to prepare me and create me and design me just like he did for you, you know? And he did that with all of us. Right. And then the Bible tells us like, he loved us so much that he desired to have a relationship with us so much when the sin happened, he knew he had a plan in place that he would send his only son to enter this like crazy world of brokenness and sin and lawlessness and corruption and pride and arrogance and anger. And I'm going to send my son into this trauma filled state world. Right? So we understand all lives matter, but just as Jesus did when he entered this crazy world, and he was doing ministry, Jesus would look for the furthest out. Mm-hmm. He would look for the marginalized. He would look for the individuals that were hurting in that time. And those are the people that he was pouring into, right? It wasn't him saying like, oh, you don't matter. He was like, right now, there's a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years and I'm on the road to go and bring back to life someone's daughter But this woman right now is in so much pain that she's, by bleeding biblically, that means she was casted out. She was considered unclean. So if she was a mother, the fact that she couldn't be a mother. If she was a wife, she couldn't be a wife. She couldn't touch her husband. She couldn't touch her kids. She wasn't in the fold of the family. And Jesus is on this road, and and, and the Bible tells us, when she touched her, touched his cloak, just the tip of his cloak, he felt a power come out of her, out of him, into her, right? If Jesus was, if he, if Jesus didn't care about the marginalized, Jesus would have just kept going. But what does Jesus say? The Bible says he stopped and he listened to her story. Mm-hmm. Not just a little bit of her story, her whole story. Like, because we're, we're hearing it in the Bible of sitting here saying for 12 years she was sick. She spent all of her money, all of her energy in this, and it just kept, it kept getting worse. Jesus got to hear her story, the most marginalized person of the time, a woman, bloody and bleeding. And, and so to me, what that means is her life mattered in that moment of triage. She was the furthest out. She needed to be loved. She needed to be heard, right? Mm-hmm. Not that this dead daughter of this politician who I'm going to go and bring back. But right now, this woman needed to be heard. 
And Jesus, in the story, he's like, hey, your daughter's fine. She's good. She's good to go. Go back. She'll be fine, right? But right now, I got to see her. This is, and, and this is where, Bible, in the Bible, Jesus comes out and says, daughter, your faith has healed you. He, called, he, gave, her, he gave her an identity. He said, daughter. Now, we can, go, we can go to the leper. Again, another casted out, marginalized individual who has leprosy, limbs are falling off. They live in a colony. And this leper is sitting outside of this town and Jesus is walking by and the leper says, Hey, you're the, you're the Christ. Like, are you, are you really, would you really heal me? Right. Would you heal me? Knowing he's a leper, Jesus reaches out and touches him. Mm -hmm. Jesus was on the path to go and do something, but he stopped and he says, son, you have been healed. And because Jesus understood reconciliation, what he said, he says, hey, go show yourself to the priest so you can be back into the fold of your community. Like, like he's saying, like, son, this community is not better without you. It's better with you. So go show yourself to the priest so you can be back into the fold of this community and go live your life. The leper was like, for who knows how long this leper was had leprosy, but man, if I'm a leper and I got limbs falling off, nose falling off, and I'm casted out and I got to ring the bell, unclean, unclean, and people are looking at me, okay? And he's ringing the bell saying, unclean, unclean, black lives matter, black lives matter. We just want to be back in the fold, man. Like, we want to, we just want to be back and reconcile. It's not sitting here saying that you, that community does lives doesn't matter. We know they matter. That's why we're ringing the bell to let you know that we're unclean, right? Black people are ringing the bell and saying we we can't be seen. We we don't feel safe. We're not being heard. We're not being we're not we're not being loved, right? And so we got this anger, this pen, pent up rage of just trauma that's been on, embraced in us. And Jesus says, "Hey, go back into the fold, and I'm going to reconcile you to this community." and gives him a sonship and says, son. And the last, the last example I'm going to give uh, of true reconciliation is Jesus and the Samaritan woman. I mean, the Israelites and the Samaritans, the Israelites hated the Samaritans. There was real racial tension there, right? They would literally travel around Samaria instead of going through it, knowing it was shorter. And so here Jesus at the well knowing he's going to come in contact with a woman from Samaria. And he's like, tell me your story. And that's what Jesus did is he took time to listen to the story of the, of the marginalized. And when he heard their story and he, and he got to see them and he got to feel their pain, he was able to reconcile them. And he says, Hey, go sin no more. And what happens? That woman goes out and next thing you know, her whole town comes to faith. And that, as, as a black man in America, I'm, I don't want what's on your plate. I just want what's on mine. And I want to be able to live it and have it freely, right? I want to be able to live my life freely, not worrying about me walking out the door and praying before I leave. Like, man, am I going to come home tonight? Like, is, my, is this going to be the last time I kiss my wife goodbye? Like, that's, and, and that's the thing. It's, it's the trauma. It's systematic trauma that's been placed on us. Because I tell you right now, white people don't walk out of their house in the morning, like, ah, I wonder if I'll be home tonight. You know, no, you just walk out and go, right? Uh, white people, when, when I go, I go out and I go for a jog. Um, I go out with this intention. Okay, it's daylight. I cannot wear headphones because I want to make sure if someone starts yelling and screaming, I can stop and look and see where it's coming from. And I can answer questions and have a dialogue because I don't want someone, me running and I got headphones and, and they think I'm running from a house or running from somewhere. And then next thing you know, a police is getting called and, and, and something happens because I got headphones on. I don't, I can't hear my surrounding. Those are things I got to think about. Like when I go out, um, I mean, those are things that we shouldn't have to live. If we call this a free country, like why do I have to live in a trauma, trauma filled state? Right. And so those are the things that we're saying when black lives matter, we're just saying it's not that uh, a white person's life doesn't matter or Hispanic or Asian or uh, Samoan or Hawaiian or whatever the case may be. Like, it's just saying, hey, right now there's a triage that's taking place that our lives are uh, are being lost. And as a former EMT, 
when I would want, run onto a, a car accident scene and uh, we pull up to a scene, we work triage and triage, the tree is the most critical gets our attention. You know, this person got some scrapes and scrape. I'm gonna just put a band in and, and I'm gonna move on. And this person might have a, a broken leg. Okay, they're fine. But this person over here can't breathe, unresponsive. That's the person, that's the, where the, the whole team is gonna, we're gonna focus on that team. It's triage, it goes back to military, triage on the field. Uh, and that right now in our country is what, what this is, is it's triage. And, and, and so, that, I mean, it's the trauma-filled state. And the hard part is too, I mean, and I, I want people to understand when I say this and hear me when I say this, like, we're not saying like, even with the Blue Lives Matter, right? I'm not saying every cop is a bad cop. I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, Individuals with authority within a people group, there's a handful that are making dumb decisions and nobody's policing that. And the, the problem is people of color are at the butt end of that and usually are the ones that are dying from it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, as, a, as a kid who's, my mother is retired military and as a, a family of law enforcement and military. Like I try, I, be, I believe in the badge. I believe in our country and our military. I support our president. I'm just saying right now there's a trauma taking place and nobody's listening to the trauma. Mm. Just like nobody's, you know, just as, just as Jesus listened to these stories and gave these people hope and, and reconciliation right now, nobody's listening to our stories. And I think that's the chant we're hearing when it comes to the, the issues with race right now. Uh, we're just not being heard. Instead of speaking at a, a level where we are just having a conversation, they're shouting. And so you have two factions, two sides, and they just keep shouting. And what I kind of talked about in my Facebook post was somebody, be it people of color or be it the white systematic struggles that's going on, somebody has to surrender the one up and allow a space to hear each other. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing, as a black man, I am not speaking for all black men. I cannot, or black people or people of color, like I can only speak for, for myself, from what I see as Jeffrey, as a black man in my community, in this country, I, I can't blanket it and say for everybody. For me, though, as black people, we we have as people of color, we have surrendered the one up too often. You know, we have we have tried to surrender the one up. I, I, I go back to just a few years ago, um, Colin Kaepernick who took a knee. That was a peaceful protest. Mm -hmm. And then people bashed him and said, well, that's un-American because it happened during a national anthem, right? Okay, so that doesn't work. Then we go out and we protest, like peaceful protests, and that doesn't work. And eventually, it's just like I would equate it as myself as a young man when I got this trauma that's put on me and nobody is listening to me and seeing my trauma and my brokenness, eventually I act out, right? What it's going to take, and this is the scary piece, what it's going to take is um, white people with the privilege and the influence to start speaking up, especially males, to start speaking up on the behalf of women and people of color. It's going to take the people that have that biggest influence and that biggest platform to really speak out on it. When you're saying that people who do... Um have privilege or have a larger, larger platform to speak, what is it that they should be saying in your opinion? So I'm going to share a story, a really dear friend of mine, a pastor here in Tri-Cities, a white guy. He says, Jeff, I know what you mean. I was like, what do you mean? Man, I go to the store here. It's a Hispanic store, Fiesta Foods. And I'm just out of place and I don't feel like I can go. But would anyone stop you? That's the difference. That's the privilege. See, for me, okay, and, and so this is an example I used on Facebook. I moved to the Tri-Cities two years ago. I'm heading to a committee meeting. 
in a wealthy area, wealthy white area, and I get pulled over by the police officer to tell me he's doing a wellness check because I'm a black man in a white neighborhood. Mm -hmm. That's the privilege. No one's going to stop you in a Hispanic community and say, hey, I'm here for a wellness check. No. They're going to probably stop you like, are you, do you even know where you're at? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you want to escort out of here? This is, did you take the wrong turn? They're not going to pull you over and say, hey, we need to check your vehicle for a wellness check. Why are you here? That's the privilege. Mm -hmm. So for me, when I moved here, I literally had to tell my wife, A, if it's after hours, after 6 p.m., and we're going to this committee meeting in this neighborhood, I need you to go with me. I'm a 6'3", 380-pound black man. I should not be scared of anything. But what I'm scared of is being pulled over and having to explain myself and not have a witness and say, hey, why are you here? And, and so that's privilege. Mm -hmm. um, being able to walk into any store and not, and not be harassed. I went to a car dealership, and this is hilarious, right? Uh, one of our kids from Chelan lives with us. We went to a car dealership here in town. I'm not going to say anything. But they looked at us like we were weird, right? Like, why are you here? The next time we went to the car dealership, Lizzie went with us and it was like, oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Again, it was me and a Hispanic, young college-age Hispanic. So that's what I'm saying. Like, privilege is real. And there's a great article. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's called The Invisible ba uh, Knapsack. Okay. No, I it's a great, I'll send it to you. It's a great article on uh, white privilege. So I want to get back though to that question that I asked earlier. What, as a white person, what can you do? Because I think that... Um, Bring people to the table. So what do you mean by that? Bring people of color to the table. People for so often, I mean, you know, you hear like uh, affirmative action, affirmative action, affirmative action. Man, the reason affirmative action had to be put in place, it wasn't because an individual who wasn't um, educated or smart enough for the job. It's because we were never given the opportunity to, to, to sit at the table. Here I am, I'm a black man with a master's degree and I've been passed up on many jobs because of the color of my skin. And that's the struggle because see, this is what's dangerous is for a white person, okay, to sit here and bring a person of color in, that means I'm gonna have to give up my seat and that's the scary part because the seat that which in white people sit in, you don't want to lose that. What if we took the seat away completely and made a bench? See, those are those thoughts of thinking of like, there's places and, and, and opportunities that as a person of color, I'm not going to get invited to. Chelan is a prime example. I love me some Chelan. I'll go back tomorrow if someone offered. <laughs> I would have never learned about Chelan unless a friend who seen me, Scott Morris, said, Jeff, I love what you do with youth, and I'm going to bring you with me. So here it is. You think about it. Chelan is 70-something percent white and like 30 percent Hispanic, and we got five brothers in Chelan. Let's just be honest, right? There's hardly any black people in Chelan. I ain't going to move to Chelan just to move to Chelan. I, I moved to Chelan because someone invited, someone invested in me and said, I see potential in you. I see opportunity in you. I see growth in you. You're qualified. You're way more than qualified. And I'm going to, I'm going to sit you at the table with me. I'm not going to sit you at the kid table. I'm going to sit you at the table with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to bring you and I'm going to train you up and I'm going to launch you out. And I look at it for seven years to be brought to an all-white community, pretty much. I mean, we know Chelan is a white community, right? But because people opened the door for me, and people got to hear my heart, and then they said, oh, well, oh, he's not just a big black guy. By the time I left, I was no longer, oh, he, Jeff is the big black guy in community. That's how people used to identify me when I first moved there. Oh, he's the big, loud black guy. By the time I left, he's like, oh, man, that's the pastor from Livingstone Church. Oh, man, that's the football coach or that's the head wrestling coach that loves kids. My, 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 my race, the race was, was gone and removed because people in Chelan said, I'm going to get to know him. And there is a many, many people 
Mr. Wilson, Rainville, I think of people who put me on a platform and said, I'm gonna elevate you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to take a step down. The prime example is Randy Gleesman, one of the, the best wrestling coaches ever. He should have been the head wrestling coach. He should have been their head wrestling coach. But he said, Jeff, I, I'll, I'll take a step down. I'll let you do it. And so we get elevated. And it's not that I wasn't qualified. It wasn't that I didn't know what I was doing. It's just we, don't, we are not given opportunity. And that's where I say as, as white people with privilege and power, you got you to gotta set a place at the table for us. But to set a place at the table is dangerous. Because that means that's going to show it's going to it's like what James in the Bible says, faith without actions is no faith at all, as, especially as Christians. If we aren't going to stand in the gap for our brothers and sisters of, of color, if we're not going to enter into hard conversations at, as Christians, then what makes you think we're going to do it out in the real world? Mm. I mean, and so if you're talking about it from a, a Christianity standpoint, it's going to take people of position like a Scott Morris to put a person in a position of power to have these conversations. And, and I, I mean, and that, so that's what I mean by white people with privilege and power mm-hmm. is you got to set the table for us. Yeah. Um, you, as you're talking, it reminds me of this quote that a Christian communicator that I follow, she's a white woman, but she shared uh, this quote by Henry Nowen, And I, I think it's so beautiful. Um, and it says, if there is any posture that disturbs a suffering man or woman, it is aloofness. The tragedy of Christian ministry is that many who are in great need, many who seek an attentive ear, a word of support, a forgiving embrace, a firm hand, a tender smile, or even a stuttering confession of inability to do more, often find their ministers distant people who do not want to burn their fingers. None of us can help anyone without becoming involved, without entering with our whole person into the painful situation, without taking the risk of becoming hurt, wounded, or even destroyed in the process. In short, who can take away suffering without entering it? Yeah, I mean, that's, it's beautiful. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, as a Christian sister, uh, Christian, I hate, I keep hating using these terms, but a Christian white sister with power and privilege, just having this conversation in this platform, using your platform to, to have hard conversations with love, I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying is like platforms, places, opportunities to speak up on this. And this is, this is at the end of the day, this is for me at least, and I can't speak for all black people, but if I come in a room and I'm angry and upset about injustice and inequality, I'm just the angry black guy. Hmm. I mean, how many times in society have we heard that? Oh, that's the angry black guy or that's the angry black woman. No, nah, man, I'm just hurt. I'm, I'm feeling a trauma. Yeah. I'm, I'm my story. I'm in, I'm living it within my story right now. Like when I'm sitting here talking to you and I talk and I'm talking about injustices and racism that I have faced, that means I have to relive my trauma. Right. So I have to talk about being pulled over. I have to talk about, you know, um, being told that I can't go into communities and I'm like, why, you know what I mean? Um, so I have to relive my trauma and all we're saying is, Hey, instead of us constantly have to relive our trauma and you know, there's trauma out there. So why don't you speak on it for, on behalf of us? Mm-hmm. And so now what we need is for people with power and privilege to say, Hey, that's kind of, that's not, that's not fair. That's unjust. Mm-hmm. Where's the equity? Where's the access? Let's, let's re- redefine these lines and let's, Let's maybe put some new laws in. I mean, let's let's fix this out. Let's make it a little more equitable. I mean, um, it's going to take the people with that kind of privilege to be able to speak into that, mm-hmm. or at least invite us into the table to have conversations. Um, you know, I mean, that's kind of where I look at. I, you know, and as a Christian, as a Christian, I always go back to this thought of what does the Bible say? And for me, at the end of the day. If I was to wrap this up for me, I think of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, starting at verse 14 to 18. Uh, Paul is making this plea. 
And he's trying to reconcile two groups. And right now, where we're at in our community and our culture, there's, there's two groups. It's the haves and the have-nots. You could put it with anything, right? But Paul is sitting here saying reconciliation through Christ is what is needed. And I love how he writes this. Verse 14, uh, chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself, and the himself is Jesus. And that's who Paul's talking about. For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups one and had, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And it's this simple uh, imagery that right now, where we're at in the world, there's a hostility brewing. And there's a, there's a, there, it's like, there's a, a battle. And Jesus is saying, man, I've, I've, I've won that battle. And what I want is, I want y'all to not forget the past, but I want you guys to reconcile the past. And that's where I go back to, it's the surrendering of one up of somebody, whether it's people of color or whatever people group, somebody is gonna have to say, okay, I'm going to quiet my voice and I'm going to hear what you have to say. And then not only am I going to hear what you're saying, I'm going to empathize with you. And then I'm going to try to walk through it with you. And then I hope that you'll do the same for me, that if I listen to your story and I empathize and I share in it and I lament and I mourn with you, then hopefully you'll, you'll do the same and you'll, you'll say, hey, I want to mourn with you too and I want to lament with you. Until that happens, man, it, especially for Christians, that we, when we, if we call ourselves Christians and we're not lamenting what's going on right now and we're not suffering with each other and of these injustices for both sides, and that's what people have to understand. For me personally, as a person of color, I have, I have to forgive injustices because I'm called to forgive, right? So now I can enter into relationships with people that are white with privilege and power and say, I forgive you, I see you. So what are we gonna do to move forward now? Like together, I mean, cause that's the reconciliation. That's the hope that Jesus gives us. And one of the last things I said on my Facebook page with Facebook uh, post, my live was um, as a person of color, man, I'm not trying to hold anything because that means I'm not a good son to the, the head, my heavenly father who called me his son. If I'm holding on to this anger, which is righteous, I have a right to be angry. Just like when my father sinned against me and hurt my family and broke us down. Like, but I still have to forgive my father. Mm-hmm. And just like this world, this systematic struggle that's out here, this structure that wasn't designed with Jeffrey in mind, I have to forgive it. And now I have to say, I forgive that structure, but man, now let me be a piece of fixing it and bringing healing and restoration to it. At the end of the day, I think that's what it's going to take. It's going to take someone to surrender the one up. It's going to take someone to say, I'll see you first. And I mean, yeah, I just, that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah. Um, Would you tell me a little bit about your project, The Table? Yeah. It comes out of these conversations and so um it's it started so with young life we do what's called club it's it's our high energy it's our activity it's basically where we set up a place uh for our high school or middle school friends or our teen moms or our kids with special needs club is the place where they get to hear the gospel fully might be for the first time right then in young life we do this thing called campaigners which is basically a small group setting maybe one to five six kids one leader to five or six kids or a couple leaders to a handful of kids or whatever but campaigners is like a more intimate time and um for me campaigners is usually done around a table uh i coach football like i said earlier and a lot of my campaigner kids are my football players or kids from pasco high and so we would gather around and when covid hit um 
when COVID hit, basically what happened was like, we had to do everything online through Zoom and Instagram and Facebook. And then um, I started a series, a campaigner series, um, talking about the I Am series of Jesus. And it started, well, what I was noticing was I was getting messages from people of like, man, I didn't, I've never heard the gospel like this before. And not sitting here saying that I'm like anyone special because I, I feel like I'm just reading what's in text. I don't try to add to it. I just read the Bible, right? And here I am reading the Bible and a lot of people started reaching out to me. It's like, hey, can you pray for me? Can you do this? And then I had some pastor friends are like, man, I love that. And my, one of my good friends, Joseph, out in uh, Montana, me and him got on a, on a live together and we just walked through the I am, one of the stories. And I kept getting messages from people from all over the country saying, Hey, like, thank you. And, and so I, me and my wife started dreaming and I was like, what I miss right now with COVID is I miss, oh man, thinking about it. Just, I miss my high school friends gathering around my dinner table, whether it's playing Monopoly and talking about life and, and school and girls, or it's, we're opening up the Bible and walking through the book of John. Um, and I, I miss talking about football and X's and O's at the table and, sharing a meal together. And so my desire is table fellowship. And so Lizzie, again, my wife, who is my inspiration, she's like, why don't you just create a platform? And I would have never thought of that. And so that's kind of how the table, so it actually started from a Young Life campaigners group that started having to do stuff via media sources. And then a pastor friend of mine was like, why don't you just create a single platform? Because what we noticed is one of my one of my Tuesday call-ins, man, we had like over a hundred and something viewers. Wow. And uh, I was shocked because honestly it was, it was geared towards high school kids. I was like, and it was like adults that, like I said, it was adults that started DMing me and messaging me and texting me. And was like, man, this is great and powerful. So we're, we launched the table this week and uh, we're going to walk through the book of Exodus, especially in the climate that we're in. Moses is a perfect Bible image of a systematic struggle. I mean, just really quick, I'll just give you a, a one minute boom on it. But you think of Moses, abandonment, we've all felt abandoned, right? Put into a community and a culture that's not his own. Living amongst people that tried to kill him. And then God goes to him and says, hey, I need you to lead your people out. And Moses not understanding, what do you mean my people? And being shown like, you're actually an Israelite. Because he was, he was raised with the Pharaoh. I mean, so you think about it, Moses probably didn't recognize that he was an Israelite, so he was a, a young adult. So to live within a culture and a community that wanted to kill you, and then being abandoned by parents out of good, but again, out of a need. And so it's this idea of right now and the trauma that we're in, it's showing this, there is reconciliation though that happens and that takes place um, with, with Pharaoh and his people and with God. Um, and so me and a couple of pastors are going to be walking through the book of Exodus. And basically it's just a place for people to have questions, have dialogue, um, safe, anything's going to, you know, all we're asking is just let's, let's be friendly to each other and, and grow yeah so if people are listening to this right now and they want to know more about that is it something that they could join or check out yeah just go to the uh, on facebook right now it's only on facebook and uh, they can just look up the table um yeah it's just a page uh we're gonna get more info out but yeah right now and um there's our three f's it's it's a uh, um, faithful friendly fellowship yeah. And it's the goal of my goal is uh, just to inspire people uh, and then find speakers that will speak into some truths that we're talking about and topics. And, but for the majority, we're just going to walk through a book of the Bible, each, each series. That's awesome. And table is an acronym, right? Teachable, accepting, biblical, loving, evangelical. Okay. Awesome. There you go. <laughs> Well, if you're listening right now to Jeffrey and this conversation has piqued your interest or I, I think what's nice, Jeffrey, is that 
clearly these conversations are uh, nuanced and there's a lot there, right? I mean, we just scratched the surface of some of the issues that have come to the surface in uh, the last few weeks and not just the last few weeks, but in the last hundreds of years, right? So um, to just be able to have a safe conversation um, and to uh, kind of especially keep it biblically based and in a loving context, I think is really appreciated and really needed right now. Um, So, and just as you were sharing about the group of guys that you meet with on, is it Tuesdays? You can have, you can have disagreements. You can have discussions over these things. You don't always have to see eye to eye, but at the end of the day, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's important that we kind of wrestle through some of these things and hear each other out. I think it's really important. So um, one final question that I always ask every guest. (laughs) The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards um, finding something real. And real is an acronym. It's for redemption or restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. And of those, I say four, but it's really five. Of those things that we can find in relationship with Jesus Christ, restoration or redemption, eternity, authenticity, and love. Which of those things stands out to you the most in your life right now and why? I think right now, and I don't just think right now, I just think period in my life of where I've come from is the restoration. Uh, And I I think for me, the reason it's restoration is um, just like the bleeding woman, just like the Samaritan, the leper, he restored them so they can go back into their community and be a light for his kingdom. And I, I think without restoration, I would have never had the opportunity to share the gospel. Um, and I think, I think for me, it'd be easy to say, oh, of course, eternity, because I want to spend forever with Jesus, right? But at the end of the day, for me, it's he's restored me to a position, gave me a place gave me a name and now I can go out and shine a light and hopefully, hopefully bring restoration uh, to people by sharing Jesus with them and, and giving them hope. And so for me, it'd be restoration. I mean, that's, that's I'm always in that zone of restoration. I want people restored. Yeah. I want to see Jesus work in your life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Amen. Well, Jeffrey, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and being honest and sharing your um, your heart. I really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. I know it's hard to get away sometimes when you have an infant baby. Oh, man. Yeah. Little guy. So. <laughs> yeah. What a gift. Well, thank you very much. Until next time. Most definitely. Thank you. Thank you, friend, for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is a grace-filled Christ-centered podcast for those who are wandering, wondering, or simply needing to be encouraged in their faith journeys. I hope you'll come back next week when I'll most likely be sharing a conversation with another guest about their journey towards finding something real. And if you're on Instagram, please come find me. On Fridays, I share Instagram Live podcast recaps at 11.45 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're over there on the gram, you can join me for some fun live podcast And finally, if you're someone who was encouraged by today's podcast and you have friends who would benefit from hearing the story shared here, would you go ahead and share? You can do that by hitting subscribe, leaving a review, or sharing a link. Your telling others about this podcast helps bring other people along. And finally, just so you know, if you only remember one thing about this podcast, I hope it is this. No matter who you are or what you've done, Jesus Christ loves you, and a real relationship with Him is a treasure trove of restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. He's offering that gift to you today. I pray you believe it.